We've been fighting a long time. We have all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Hey, welcome to our Zoom presentation, which we do on Wednesday evenings. And in particular, we're doing a topic on Christ's kingship, in particular, his social reign within human societies. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth, let us pray. O God, who instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There has been a lot of talk about the Supreme Court lately, especially as the president seeks to fill the seat left vacant by Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. Let's consider the Supreme Court building for a moment. On the west facade of the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C., you will see a beautiful pediment positioned above huge columns with various figures and items carved in marble. And in the middle of this piece of art, you will see liberty, Lady Liberty, enthroned as a ruler with the scales of justice lying on her lap. This goddess is flanked on either side by guardian soldiers who represent order and authority. There are other figures to view as well, but if your eyes are good enough, you also see a series of carved items that are put off into the far, far corners of the pediment, namely the two tablets of the Mosaic Law, as well as a papal tiara or a crown, along with a bishop's crozier. It seemed that modern man would not need these ancient guides and guidelines to enlighten him. The new Mount Sinai in Philadelphia had brought forth a new order and a new law in, 19, in, in 1789. And nine vicars of liberty dressed in black robes had been the arbiters of all truth. 
But if Christ the King were enthroned in his holy law, and vicar on earth were recognized as superior to the goddess of liberty, and above mere human judges and documents, Supreme Court decisions over the past two centuries would be far different in many cases. Just down the road from the Supreme Court building, you will find the headquarters for the executive branch of our government, namely the White House. Back in the late 1940s and early 1950s, President Harry Truman decided to renovate the entire structure, which was in great disrepair. Some even had suggested that the whole building be taken down and rebuilt. But government officials ruled against such a plan, for they saw the tearing down of the White House as an act of desecration. When men that began working on the interior bearing walls of the structure, which were no longer adequate, they found the original stones upon which the White House was actually built. To President Truman's delight, many of these stones bore the symbols of Freemasonry. Truman was also pleased to learn that in October of 1792, the Freemasons of Georgetown laid the first of these stones in the presence of George Washington. And afterwards, toasts were raised to the 15 United States, the President, and to the Masonic Brethren throughout the entire universe. President Truman then ordered some of those stones with the Freemasonic inscriptions be used in the reconstruction project. There are still some in the White House to this day, while the rest of the stones would be sent to the Grand Lodges of the Masonic Orders of every state as a token of the bond between Freemasonry and the founding of the nation. The toppling of Christ the King from his rightful throne, the destruction of his kingdom, the Catholic Church, and the rejection of the Christian order where church and state collaborate as a soul and body, if you will, have always been the main goals of Freemasonry, for their God is literally Lucifer. Furthermore, Freemasonry is the very church, the ecclesial structure by which the errors of naturalism are spread, including the denial of the revelation of the one true God and his continuous rule over men, as well as the rejection of supernatural realities and any public religious influence over political affairs. If you would like the verification of these historical facts regarding the White House, then please feel free to read David McCullough's book on Truman. The final branch of our government, the Congress, finds its home in the Capitol building, the People's House and the Temple of Liberty with a statue of her atop of the Capitol dome. On September 18th, 1793, President George Washington crossed the Potomac and was escorted to a construction site by various members of Masonic lodges from Maryland, Virginia, and DC. They had come 
to lay the cornerstone of that Capitol building, a structure that would hold the most important lawmaking body in the nation. Dressed in Masonic apron and holding a ceremony, ceremonial trowel and square, Washington led the ceremony, which included consecrating the cornerstone using corn, wine, and oil, again, along with full Masonic rituals. A painting near the Senate side of the Capitol, perhaps many of you have seen it, recounts this Masonic ceremony and blessing of that cornerstone. And by the way, a special silver plate bearing an inscription was placed on that stone which celebrated our independence and noted the second term of Washington's time as president, as well as bearing two dates marking the event, including in the year of masonry, 5,793 AL. Not AD or Anno Domini in the year of our Lord, but rather Anno Lucis in the year of light. The dome of the Capitol would soon be completed and eventually a glorious mural would be painted on the interior called the Apotheosis of Washington or the deification of our first president. The mural shows the father of our country as a god surrounded by figures including Neptune, Minerva, Mercury, and Vulcan. From the very foundations to the rooftops of our nation's main buildings, we can see the very nature of a liberal republic, a picture of what a liberal republic is all about. No images of Christ the King, no inscriptions in stone acknowledging the Holy Trinity, and no acknowledgement of the true religion and its role in elevating society, influencing the writing, interpreting, and executing of the law, and its exclusive work in teaching men saving truths and bringing them to heaven. July 4th, 1776, not only marked a day of independence from Britain and her king, but also the beginning of a revolution against the ordering of society as willed by Almighty God, which would culminate in the drafting of the U.S. Constitution. The United States became the first purely secular government in the history of the world. Every previous government, even pagan ones of the ancient world, always recognized the important public place of religion within society. Knowing that men were made up of both body and soul, all previous statesmen acknowledged the need to collaborate with the clerical or priestly class in order to help the citizenship both materially and spiritually. The era of laicism was unknown in centuries past. Laicism being a political system characterized by the exclusion of all ecclesiastical control and all church influence. Pope Pius XI taught in that great document on Christ's kingship, Quas Primus, the following, quote, the religion of Christ came to be likened to false religions and to be placed ignominiously on the same level with these false religions. 
some men went even further and wished to set up in the place of God's religion a natural religion, consisting in some instinctive affection of the heart. Pius XI continues, there were even some nations who sought or who thought they could dispense with God and that their religion should consist in impiety and neglect of God, unquote. Agriculture, transportation, economics, these things that others are certainly important concerns, but growth in virtue cannot be forgotten. The temporal order of passing earthly things had to be governed, but the eternal order and everlasting life had to be prepared for even while on earth. In fact, since the soul was seen as higher than the body, the church or the religious structure were seen as a higher authority than the state that could even, in some cases, correct secular rulers, rulers when conflicts arose. Thomas Jefferson, another great man of thinker, a thinker of old. Thomas Jefferson, the author of the Declaration of Independence, reluctantly acknowledged a divine watchmaker, a distant creator as the king of heaven light years away. But he did not wish him to be king in regards to everyday earthly affairs. This was and is the error of deism, where God might exist above, but he does not reign here below as our king. Our deistic founders, and there were a few of them, men like Washington, Jefferson, Madison, and Franklin, robbed Almighty God and his Christ of the rightful crown and sovereignty over even this nation. In this new order of things, politics would not bother with God, and constitutions and laws would be written without paying much attention to the Ten Commandments and the Holy Gospels. And finally, the true religion, the only true religion, Catholicism, would not be recognized and would simply be relegated to the realm of private opinion along with all other various false religions and philosophies. And this was to be expected. For any nation that does not enthrone Christ as king will never accept the church as queen. If you remember the image of the infant of Prague, we have one in our church. The royal scepter that's in the hands of that infant king, along with that globe with the cross on top. The royal scepter has been taken from the hands of Christ. The little orb representing the world that he holds in his divine hand has been taken from him. The red, white, and blue may weigh freely over the nation's capital, but the cross of Christ may not be erected on public land. The Constitution has forced the abdication of our good and sovereign Lord and is handed over sovereignty to we, the people. The official body politic moves and acts without the soul of religion influencing it. The legislative, judicial, and executive branches of our government are therefore like a corpse a soulless and godless body, purely secular and irreligious. By not recognizing Christ as king, a modern state like ours 
is anti-Christian by nature. Although many states and many statesmen may, I should say many statesmen may profess a religion, a religious creed in private, the state is practically speaking atheistic. Theism has won for the time being. Naturalism, the Church of Freemasonry have gained victory in this battle. And like those apostate Jews of old, modern men cry out, we do not want this man to reign over us because we have no God but Caesar. But despite all the efforts to force him from the throne, Christ the King still reigns over every nation, every state, every city, every town, and man without exception. For he is the universal monarch, not by the will of the people, not by a vote of Congress, not by a decision of the president, not by a ruling of men in black robes, but rather by the power of his nature. He has created his realm here below. He is owner of all the territories of the earth. And furthermore, he is the redeemer of all men and has purchased us at the price of his most precious blood. The Supreme Court, therefore, is not truly supreme. It is not the court of final appeal. There is a higher divine judge and his vicar on earth. Legislation written by men that is against the divine and natural law is no law at all. Because the Blessed Trinity is the ultimate legislator. And a president that executes orders against the will of God commits the ultimate act of treason, betraying an infinitely higher sovereign. The western facade of the Supreme Court building, which I mentioned earlier, was a few years ago covered up with tarpaulin as workers sought to make repairs. And since that earthquake hit a couple of years ago, our nation's capital, the Washington Monument was closed for a while too to visitors with scaffolding surrounding the entire structure as it too faced a number of serious repairs. Perhaps this can be seen as a symbol of a house of cards about to fall. Liberal secular republics are failing and liberty enthroned on high cannot save them. People wrongly think that it is only recent administrations, congresses and courts that have caused all our problems, but no. They are only the bad fruit of the bad tree planted in the 18th century. George Washington, though a man of virtue, he always refused to receive Holy Communion at those Anglican services which he rarely attended. While everyone knelt for prayer, the father of our country always stood. In all of his letters, correspondence, he never once used the word Savior, Redeemer, or the Son of God. And in thousands of letters, Washington wrote, not once did he use the name Jesus Christ. When asked about our first president's religious leanings, his pastor in Virginia, Reverend Abercrombie, stated, quote, Sir, Washington was a deist, unquote. 
good people everywhere are observing the moral collapse of a government and a nation. But many of these individuals are appealing to the goddess of liberty for aid. Give us more freedom according to the Constitution and we shall be saved. Instead of invoking the Holy Ghost, some are calling upon the original spirit of 76 and 1789. But our founders and their documents cannot save us because they are flawed. A bad tree cannot ultimately produce good fruit. The only, have, only hope we have is to restore all things in Christ. So today, or this evening, I should say, we're going to take a look at some teachings, some principles regarding Christ's social reign as king using the principles of a Father Dennis Fahey. So I want to give you a little bit of a picture of him so that you can look at him for a bit. Um, this is Father Dennis Fahey. And of course, um, he was a great Holy Ghost father. I'm going to give you a little bit of his life for you to ponder just a bit as we go through some of his wondrous teachings regarding Christ's kingship. Father Dennis Fahey was born in Ireland in the year 1883. And at only 17 years old, he entered the Holy Ghost Fathers. He made his profession in 1907 and further educated in philosophy and other topics at the Gregorian University in Rome. He was ordained in 1910. He eventually took a degree, a doctorate degree in philosophy from the Academy of St. Thomas Aquinas. In 1912, he received another PhD in theology from the Gregorian University. And that year, Father Fahey returned to Ireland and was appointed director of scholastics and a professor of philosophy at the Irish province of the Holy Ghost Congregation in Dublin. Some other facts about his life. He served as a chaplain at an internment camp in Switzerland towards the end of World War I. His residence largely though remained in Ireland until his death in 1954. He spoke German, he spoke French, Italian, and he was a prolific writer. He authored several books that focused extensively on the defense of and the richer cultivation of the kingship of Christ in his Catholic homeland of Ireland. During his studies in Rome, Father Fahey learned how the mystical body of Christ transformed the pagan society of the Roman Empire and prepared it for the upward movement, as he called it, of recognition for the program of our Lord Jesus Christ, priest and king. He also learned that the revolutions of the modern world, in the words of Pope Leo XIII, quote, were but one phase of the development of a prearranged plan just being carried out over an ever widening area to multiply the ruins on which we have previously spoken, unquote. Father Fahey 
came to understand that all the revolutions were bringing about the elimination of the rule of Christ the King in view of ultimately limiting the mass and the supernatural life of Christ, the Supreme High Priest. These two major streams of thought, the recognition of the kingship of Christ and the unmasking of the forces opposed to his kingdom, furnish the two guiding lights of theological and historical studies which he pursued. He spent the rest of his writing and teaching career working out the theoretical and practical implications of these two great notions. He wanted to get the recognition of Christ's kingship and unmask those individuals, those forces that were opposed to Christ's kingship. These two guiding lights may be restated as follows. I'm going to read to you again some of the sort of main points of Father Fahey's teaching. First, recognizing and promoting the kingship of Christ is absolutely necessary for earthly happiness as well as the salvation of every human being. That's what it's all about. First main point, recognizing and promoting the kingship of Christ as absolutely necessary for earthly happiness as well as the salvation of every human being. The reign of Christ, he continued, is the only source of hope for the world, both materially and spiritually. It is the only means for building and preserving true civilization. Second, again, the two principles, recognizing Christ and unmasking, number two, the forces opposed to Christ. Second, any person, group, organization, or social movement that opposes Christ's reign as king is a witting or unwitting tool of demonic powers. Needless to say, in a world that is swimming in heresy, naturalism, modernism, Marxism, socialism, and every other imaginable ism of errors, such a teaching causes a great deal of discomfort to us. I want to sort of end a look at his life by something that I read about him when he was a student in Rome. When he was a student in Rome, he would pray every day before the altar of the chair of Peter at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Remember that wondrous altar behind the main altar with those, that big baldacchino, behind that is the chair of Peter altar where the relics of the chair that Peter sat in as Pope are in a reliquary that is shaped like a chair. And, and, and he would pray before that altar every single day as a student. And he wanted to offer himself and he wanted the grace as well to teach the social reign of Christ's kingship in a way that the church wanted, in a way that Peter and Paul would want. And he prayed for that guidance every single day. So that is Father Dennis Fahey. And I want to uh, call up now 
seven principles, seven main principles regarding Christ's kingship, which can make us at least somewhat happy even on earth and also get us to heaven if we truly embrace his social reign. It will help all of society, all of the world. Like, I have to thank, you know, Catholicism.org, I think it is, or Catholicism.com, I forget which one, but it's, it's the one that we interviewed Brother Andre just a few weeks ago. But wonderful presentation regarding Father Dennis Fahey on their website. And so what I have garnered about this teaching is partly from them, and I appreciate that those articles they put on the website regarding Father Dennis Fahey. So let's move on to uh, this other article regarding the principles of Father Fahey's teachings in connection with the social reign of Christ the King. So there's seven principles altogether, and we're going to go through them and try to get an understanding of what he's trying to say. But we'll begin basically with an introduction. Illuminated by these two beacons, remember, uh, the two beacons, the things that sort of led him. One, to have that recognition of Christ's kingship, but also, number two, to unmask those individuals, that, 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 those entities, which seek to oppose Christ's kingship. So that is his great work. He continues, because they represent the true Catholic teaching on these matters, they can be somewhat jarring to us. We, we live in a very modern world infected by revolutionary thinking. We live in a country that is steeped in subjectivism. You know, how individuals feel about matters. That's what's true to them. Liberalism. Liberalism, which is basically revolution of the will. My will be done, not thy will be done. My will be done. And of course, indifferentism, right? Indifferentism. Doesn't matter what religion you are, right? All religions are pretty much the same. Drawing mainly on the writings of modern popes, Father Fahey's works are filled with countless quotes and citations. He was a prolific writer. And there's no marshmallow stuff in his writings. It's all hard line, straightforward teachings. It's like a gospel of Christ's kingship. He lays out Christ's program for order in the world. And he contrasts this with Satan's plan for disorder in the world. So here are the seven principles for Christ's social reign as king, according to Father Fahey, what it will bring about and, you know, what happens to those that oppose it. Number one, first, our Lord's mystical body, the Catholic Church, is the supernatural and supra national entity which all states and nations are called upon to acknowledge has been established by god 
as the one way for an ordered return of human beings to him. So first of all, only the Catholic Church is supernatural. We are that one supernatural entity which gives men the grace of Christ in order that they might be saved. We are that one institution that's been given that divine mandate. Only the Catholic Church has the divine mandate to go to teach all nations and to baptize men in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We give supernatural life to people. No one else does. Christ uses, the Holy Ghost uses alone the Catholic Church to save men. But it's also supranational. That is, it doesn't belong to any one individual nation or any one individual ethnic group or race or people. It rises above that sort of thing. And it's the one and only road for the orderly return of human beings to the Almighty Father above. If you want to get prodigal children back to the Father's house, Christ's kingship and his king of the Catholic Church is the only way for that ordered return of men to God. And isn't that God's will? To bring men to himself? But we know that this is going to be opposed, right? The two beacons of Father Fahey. One beacon, the recognition of Christ's kingship. The second beacon that led him, the light, to unmask and to expose those forces that oppose Christ's kingship. This is the first step towards inducing. Okay, so it says here, into it all men of all nations are called to enter as his members, right? But in contrast, this is the unmasking. The devil wants the state to put all religions on the same level. Religious indifferentism. This first, this is the first step towards inducing the secular government to persecute the Catholic Church, which by divine ordinance can never compromise her singular authority. We alone teach in the name of Christ. The Catholic Church alone has the divine mandate. Providing equal rights, equal rights to truth and error spreads disorder. Religious indifferentism gives equal rights to, to error and truth. As a result, truth becomes confused with error. Satan uses every means and whatever vehicle he can to promote the principles of the French Revolution, liberty, equality, and fraternity. So that's the first principle. Number two. Second, our Lord's plan for states and nations acknowledge the indirect power of the Catholic Church in civil affairs. This is a, an important thing, which I mentioned last week just a bit. Remember that the classic way of looking at the way that divine authority is granted to temporal entities and 
church eternal-like entities. That's called a diarchy. So those who are in the temporal realm, civil leaders, governors, magistrates, legislators, judges, they are given authority to rule from God. In regards to eternal matters, grace, divine faith, getting them into heaven, authority has been granted alone to the Catholic Church. That's it. No one else receives any authority to do anything but the Catholic Church. Eternal matters, getting people to heaven, that's the church's jobs. The temporal realm, receiving authority from God is to make men's life on earth, you know, bearable, you know, make us somewhat happy, provide for the basic needs of men in terms of their bodily needs, especially. But also not to be a hindrance to man's spiritual needs and his getting to heaven. So for example, the church cannot directly claim power in the temporal realm, but indirectly she has a power to correct errors within the temporal realm or errors within leaders of the temporal realm who are hindering, putting obstacles in the way of men getting to the truth and getting to heaven. So for example, if you have a society in years past who decided to make Sunday like any other day of the week, you had a people that were largely Christian, largely uh, sort of people who came together to worship God, and all of a sudden you make it almost impossible to worship God on Sunday. You make Sunday like any, any, any other day of the week. That can receive a correction from the church in regards to civil society. You know, you're opening up all these commercial sort of things on Sunday. Your, your you know, banks are open, and this is open, and you know, uh, various entities are open, malls are open. Uh, sports are being held in the mornings during church hours, these sorts of things. Or like I said last week, issues of marriage. So you have, uh, you know, the state, you know, obviously has some to something to do with marriage. You get a marriage license, a wedding license. The church is obviously very concerned about marriage because God instituted marriage and for baptized people, Christ made it into a sacrament. And so when it comes to marriage, when the state, the temporal realm, decides to make marriage whatever you want it to be, even the notion of a same-gendered union, which is beyond the, beyond the beyond in terms of imagining, the church has every right in the world to correct this error in the secular temporal power. And that's the indirect power the church has to correct secular rulers and to correct legislation made in the temporal realm. And that is a right the church has that has to be respected by the state. The church is not taking over the temporal realm, but she is able to in, give her input when things are off. The church is the sole divinely appointed guardian of the whole moral order natural and revealed. The church is the defender of the natural law. She's the defender of the divine positive law regarding morality as well. And so 
that must be respected within society. But the opposing force, right? So we have, again, those two beacons coming forward. Recognizing Christ's kingship, one beacon. Second beacon, exposing, manifesting, unmasking those forces set against the church and Christ's kingship. Satan, on the other hand, aims at getting states and nations to treat with contempt the indirect power of the church. You can see this, right? Oh, you know, the, the church is interfering. The church is interfering in regard to defending this, you know, pro-life stuff. She's interfering in politics. Get out of here. Stay out. This is something which is most unfortunate to try to quiet the word of God coming through the church. And at setting up the state or the race as the authority to decide all moral questions, the state becomes the decider of moral questions. All of a sudden, the Supreme Court is the decider of all moral questions. So all of a sudden, they can look in the Constitution, some of these justices, and say, oh, we have found a right to quote-unquote privacy, and so we're going to make abortion legal in every spot in the entire country. And we're going to make overnight and destroy all basic protections of marriage in every one of the 50 states with Obergefell's make same-gendered sort of unions, marriages, licit. So all of a sudden you get these Almost like they're like high priests sitting in black robes. Continuing on, Satan also lures men, this is the opposing forces to Christ's kingship, lures men into talk of restoring order in the world without the help of Christ and the church. And so remember we said the church alone is the one supernatural only the church can give the grace of Christ. And supranational, doesn't belong to any one people, any one nation. It's meant for all the world. It's truly Catholic, universal. All of a sudden we have like a United Nations becomes the source of unity amongst men. You know, we can take a Tower of Babel and make it united, right? This is what Satan and his minions seek, a naturalistic way to uniting human beings and bring them to perfection without the church being involved. Third principle of Father Fahey, the unity and indissolubility of Christian marriage symbolizes the union of Christ and his mystical body. This is the foundation of the Christian family. And our Lord wants members to cultivate purity and honor virginity. But then also, he wants parents, men and women who come together in holy matrimony, are obliged by God to propagate and to fill the earth with Catholic saints. So, Father Fahey knows that part of this work of recognizing Christ's kingship is the work of recognizing the unity and indissolubility of Christian marriage as symbolizing the union of Christ in his mystical body. 
but there's obviously an opposing force. Satan aims at undermining the Christian family directly by the introduction of divorce and indirectly by the promotion of immorality. Satan hates pure things. He hates especially the immaculate pure one, the queen of heaven. Therefore, he wants conjugal infidelity. He wants birth prevention, the contraceptive mentality. He wants to destroy the notion of the unity and indissolubility of Christian marriage. He wants to promote vices that are base. He wants immodest fashions introduced and encouraged. He wants promiscuity. He wants movies and plays which are sensual. He wants all forms of entertainment that are for his diabolical and disordered purposes. I think we can see that that is certainly part of the plan of Satan, which is directly opposed to Christ's kingship. Fourth, again, these principles of Father Dennis Fahey, the great Holy Ghost Father, who wrote all those books on Christ's social reign as king. Fourth, our Lord, this is about education. Our Lord wants children educated as members of the mystical body so they may be able to look at everything, nationality included, from that standpoint and observe the following therefore, therefrom in relation to God themselves and others. So we want to look at things in a Christian way. Our Lord again wants children educated as members of the mystical body of Christ so that they may be able to look at everything, view everything, perceive everything, nationality included, from that standpoint and observe the order following therefrom in relation to God. Thus, it is, thus is true personality developed. Educating children in a Christian way. All education, every branch must be regulated in the Christian spirit under the direction of the church. As you know, parents are the primary educators of their children. It's especially true for Christian parents, right? Believers. But also the church also has rights to teach her children. So not only does the natural father and natural mother have rights to teach their children. They might ask at times for the agency of a tutor to help, but also a priest has a right to teach the children. He is also a father and he's allowed to teach them especially spiritual matters, how to get to heaven, their prayers. So, uh, whereas, writes Father Faye, this is the opposite now, the opposing forces. Number four again, Satan aims at impeding or, if possible, preventing altogether the education of young people of both sexes as members of Christ. Not only in the schools, but in cinema, television, and all possible new sources are used to subvert the morals of the youth. And then he adds here that women are especially targeted, targeted for corruption. 
So again, you can see these opposing forces at work, Christ and Baal. The program of Christ for the ordered return of men to his heavenly father in the father's house versus the program of Satan, which is the bringing of men to ultimately damnation. Fifth, the divine plan for order. This is the program of Christ to bring men to heaven. Calls for, this is the economic realm, calls for the wide diffusion of ownership of property. We want more capitalists, not less. Remember the line of G.K. Chesterton, which we've used before, the great English journalist. The problem with too much capitalism is too few capitalists. You want more capitalists. You want more people as, as you possibly can to have ownership of the means of production. He continues. So the wide diffusion of ownership of property, people should own things, their land, their tools, their small businesses. He continues, there should also be a union of owners and workers. Look at that, owners and workers. He wants them working together, collaborating in guilds or corporations in which the owners and the workers have a shared interest in doing well. They have common interest. They both benefit when the particular entity does well economically. As many people as possible should be induced to become landowners. That's important. Property is important. Uh, remember the, uh, it's a great institution, right? We, we talk about it all the time. We have some members of our good parish who are members of that group called TFP, Tradition Family Property. Hmm. Remember, socialists want to take away your property, right? They want a common ownership of all things owned by the state. But private property is a, is a really foundational principle in many ways. And part of that principle is a certain protection certain autonomy of a family. They have their land, their property, their ancestral property in particular. But what does Satan do? Satan aims at the concentration of property in the hands of a few, either nominally in those of the state or in those of the money manipulators. So this is something that he fears and we should fear too, when a concentration of wealth is either completely in the, the hands of the state or in the hands of just a few. He writes also, several generations ago, unbridled capitalism served to concentrate wealth in the hands of a few people, but now the zealous promoters of collectivism, socialism and communism Communism insinuate themselves into, a, into all organizations. So this divine plan of bringing men to 
not only just the supernatural end of heaven, but having a certain happiness even here on earth requires good marriages, good education, and proper human economic systems in which men have greater ownership of their means of production, ownership of their land, their house, and so forth. Six, we're almost done. The divine plan calls for order for a monetary system so arranged as to facilitate the production and exchange of material goods in view of the virtuous life of members of Christ in happy families. So strong, holy families are to be supported and promoted. So when you have a proper sort of economic and monetary system, that somehow there will be the benefit regarding strong and holy families. But then uh, he continues, the art of money manipulation and the hierarchy of the arts is inferior to the industrial arts which cater for a man's secondary needs and to agriculture which produces man's primary needs. All those arts are meant to be at the service of the members of Christ in happy families. And so those individuals, in terms of the hierarchy of things, that are purely involved with manipulating of money versus the industrial working arts of agriculture, manufacturing, making things, artisans. This is a much higher thing because they take care of man's real primary needs. I mean, he needs food to eat, all right? So these, in a hierarchy of things, these industrial arts are more important. But on the contrary, Satan aims at a monetary system by which human persons will be subordinated to the production of material goods. And the production, distribution, exchange of material goods will be subordinated to the making of money and the growth of power in the hands of the financiers. So again, the importance of human labor, the importance of what is produced by human labor, you know, being subordinated to basically this financiers and their money manipulation. He continues, he is pleased that money is employed as an instrument for the elimination of the divine plan for the installation of naturalism. So all of a sudden money becomes not just a means of exchange, it becomes money for the sake of money, the desire for money, the accumulation of money. It's unlimited. You know, how much we produce in a field or a crop is limited. You only can produce so many tomatoes. But money, in terms of its multiplication, it's almost immeasurable. As a result, we have a culture of 
consumerism, right? Is fostered and the pace of society constantly intensifies to satisfy this purpose. And of course, this horrible thing, which few speak of today, usury, profiteering, not just interest, not just being made whole from a loan, but rather profiteering from a loan to someone in need of borrowing. Usury is encouraged in this system and debt is promoted as a means of accumulating consumer goods. Interests, usurious, usurious profiteering interest and debt. So, and this of course leads to issues within the family, right? Satan hates the human race, therefore he widens the road that aids the advance of the culture of death. Through readily available contraceptives, he encourages promiscuity and having enthroned health and luxury as the most desirable good. What you have, what you possess in terms of material goods is, 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 is being enthroned. He cushions the illusionary deception among married couples that having fewer children brings forth greater material prosperity and consequently peace and happiness. A murderer from the beginning, Satan delights in the current culture of abortion and euthanasia. I mean, grandmother is a drain upon us, another child, you know, that will be a drain upon our opportunities that we might have. Finally, the seventh principle of Father Dennis Fahey. Our Lord Jesus Christ wants all his members, the members of the mystical body, to grasp the program for order laid down by his Father and unite with himself in the central act of submission to the Blessed Trinity, which is the Holy Mass. The final wondrous principle, the seventh principle, is the holy sacrifice of the mass. In this sacrifice, the pre-presentation of Calvary in an unbloody manner, all Catholics profess their willingness to respect God's rights and their readiness to strive as a united body to mold society in accordance with our Lord's program for order. So, the societal public worship of God through the holy sacrifice of the Mass, through public liturgy, recognizing the good Lord and his rights as our creator and as our redeemer. We offer him the infinite worship of the divine son become man upon that altar offering up in an unbloody manner a representation of the sacrifice of Calvary. Creatures worshiping their creator. But, again, the opposing forces that Father Fahey wants to unmask and expose. 
Satan wants to confuse and bewilder human beings, so they give up the idea that there is an order laid down by God, which they are bound to find out. And what is God's will again? God's will is to bring men to heaven. The only program that allows for an ordered return of men to God is through Christ the King and his Catholic Church, his kingdom. On account of his rest, relentless hatred for the supernatural life, remember, Satan is the main naturalist. He is all natural. <laughs> he has nothing supernatural in him. No grace, no faith, nothing supernatural. He's damned. So he hates the supernatural. What is the natural? What is naturalism, rather, the ideology? It's one of two things. Either it's the complete denial of the supernatural realm, the complete denial of grace, the complete denial of divine faith, the complete denial of beatitude and seeing God face to face in heaven and eternal life above, or the, the, the naturalistic system, this is sort of a very Protestant Lutheran sort of thing, is that, yes, there's a supernatural order, this is another view of it, but we're not allowed really to participate fully in it. We can't really come to that supernatural level. That's naturalism. On account of his, rest, his relentless hatred of the supernatural life, Satan detests above all the central act of submission to the Blessed Trinity, which is the holy sacrifice of the Mass, and therefore he wants to eliminate it. He wants to get rid of altars. He wants to get rid of churches. He wants to get rid of religious life, monasteries, convents, religious houses, friaries. He wants it all gone. He doesn't want men worshiping God, especially through the Mass. So, we see those seven principles of Father Fahey. Again, the church alone is that one supernatural, supranational entity which provides for the ordered return of men to God. The state must respect the indirect power of the church to correct the state when it provides a hindrance or an obstacle to man's coming to the truth and to heaven. We should also promote marriage. We should also promote education, Christian, and obviously a Christian system of economics, at least an economic system influenced by Christ's kingship, which promotes the goodness of human labor and also promotes ownership by the means of production by as many people as possible. And of course, uh, we come to the notion of uh, finally the, the mass, the sacrifice of the mass. So in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Dominus vobisco mecum spiritu tuo benedictio nepotentis patris et fidii et spiritus sanctus et supervos et mani et semper. Amen.